Welcome to episode 15 of Probably Polly. Oh wait, no, that's not how I say that. <clears throat> Welcome... T- Welcome to the 15th episode of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. And I am your co-host, Mandy Conant. Uh, This week we're talking about breakups, and while I think that most of the topics we've done so far, at least to me, count as fun, or at least potentially fun, I think it's fair to say that even if breakups go well or you're improving them, they're still not really fun, just less bad. I would agree, I yeah. Maybe that's just me. I, I've never had a breakup that I was excited to go through. No, there's there's no end of relationship energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and ironically, I'd say the relationships that most needed to go were the ones that I hated to break up with the most because it just, it seemed more insulting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I'm not trying to hurt someone's feelings. And so it's harder when they're like, why do you want to break up with me? And you're like, I have this laundry list of things you don't like about them than it is if it's something more uh, systematic. You have moved away and I can't handle long distance relationships, but otherwise things are great. It's sort of the best kind of breakup for me. Now that I think about it, um, I've definitely had some amazing breakup sex. Like where the, the the sex hmm. has gotten better after we broke up or transitioned, so maybe it's not all bad. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm separating the breakup act itself from the after effects because ah. presumably a breakup is an improvement. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing right. It. If you went to break up with someone and it made your life worse, then you have you failed to properly decide who you should break up with. I right. Think. <laughs> so that's that is a. A good silver lining, though. Yes. Breakups should improve your life. So that's one thing to keep in mind when going through one, as you're moving in the right direction. Yes. I guess if you're the one doing the breaking up, it should improve your life. Because I think on the other side, it could definitely be the contrary. Maybe it's the beginning, at least. Anytime you use a word like improve, it gets really abstract, because what does that really mean? Right. It's difficult, but... I have to say, I think if someone breaks up with you, that's still an improvement because that meant you were dating someone that wanted to break up with you. That didn't really want to be with you, right. It might feel like it's worse, but that's only because before you weren't operating with all the information. Correct, yeah. So if you'd had all the thoughts that were running through their head that led them to think they didn't want to be with you anymore, chances are really good that you wouldn't have wanted to be with them either. You would probably agree. I don't know. I I feel like there are people who, if you offered it, would take like a pity-based relationship. But I think on a long enough timeline, that always breaks down. I've never seen that not damage the people involved eventually. Yeah, those. That just makes me sad. (laughs) How so? What do you mean? The the pity-based relationships just makes me sad. Oh, when you see that somebody would be in a relationship that clearly isn't double-sided. Mm-hmm. so it just makes me sad i wonder where the impulse for that comes from i think it's i mean just i don't know but i feel like it's wrapped up in the same sorts of cultural variables that that say things like if you go on a date and you let the guy pay you owe him something like the mm-hmm. the reason that people don't want to let the other person pay is they're afraid they'll they'll owe them or the person will perceive they owe them because I don't see how, you know, have, you talk to people and they're, well, I'm with them because it really makes them happy. And, you know, they deserve to be happy even if they're not what I'm really looking for. And you're going, why do you think that you're like a prize to, 
<laughs> like, to the person that's doing that. Like, like, cut them free, and they'll eventually learn the things they need to learn to be in healthy, real relationships with right. people that value them. Yes. And I think that's the, the hard part about breakups for me, is that in a breakup, there's something... And as much as I, I preach, it's not that you're not a good person, it's that we are not compatible. It rarely feels that way to someone who's right. being broken up with. Because they are always... They want to put it on them. They want to put... You know, there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Well, and our culture teaches us that, but I think it's also that it feels like you have control. In a lot of ways, it's scarier to think that you can't make a relationship work. Yeah. Because that's really what you're saying if you're saying, you know, not everybody is fit to be with everybody, is sometimes you get in a relationship and there are things that are amazing about it, and a lot of the things in the relationship work, and you love, pick six things, you love the sex, you love spending time with them, you love who they are, but for whatever reason, there are other problems like you guys don't share space well or one weird note in their smell that's off that you just can't get can't <laughs> can't stay excited about and you have to be like well I can't I can't make it work I mean assuming you've right. tried you know cuz we're here to teach you how to make things easier but if it's not if you're not compatible you're not compatible but you know the great thing about Polly is that you can transition there doesn't have to be a breakup that's one of my favorite things about Polly is that I don't ever have to lose anyone. I know that culturally there's a value on staying friends with exes mm -hmm. in like just general society too, not just poly circles, but also monogamous, normative American culture. It's interesting because my experience of that in normative culture was that everyone was ostensibly friends with their ex primarily because it was socially stigmatizing not to be friends with their ex but no one was really friends with their ex. Like, they didn't invite them to close dinner parties and have them around and, like, late-night right. conversations the way they would with a best friend. It was more like, I am vague <laughs> acquaintanceships with my ex, but I'm afraid to say we're just exes because I uh -huh. think that then no one will want to date me. And you think that that's the case in the poly community as well? Or just mononormative? No, and, and that was what I was going sort of headed towards is that I actually feel like I've been able to maintain friendships with the people that I have transitioned or ended relationships from the poly community in a way that I wasn't able to do before. Like solid actual friendships instead of just, you know, acquaintances, right? Yeah. And now that's not to say that all of my exes are my best friends or that I keep up with them incredibly well, um, if any of them are listening. No, and that's, that's, I mean, that's fair because you're not always going to be able to transition with everyone. I mean, there's going to be horrible breakups that just don't work afterwards. I guess that was what I was going to say, though, is none of the breakups have been horrible, and all of them, I feel a genuine affection for the people afterwards and a, a sense that I could be friends with them. Whereas I remember mm -hmm. feeling in, when I was monogamous when we break up with someone, this idea that you know, really it was really hard to be friends with them. It was difficult emotionally, was not, you know, there was a lot of, oh, I hope you all, I wish you all the best. Well, no, I don't. You know, like, I, <laughs> I, I want you to come back, right? Like, and I, and I think that's the thing is that, at least for me, polyamory frees me from a lot of unreasonable thoughts. So, you know, there's two things. One is I don't have to wonder why you broke up with me 
you definitely broke up with me because being with me was not making you happier than not being with me was. Because right. since you can date any other person you want to date. It's not like you were left for someone else. Right, because, yeah, the last person that I, two relationships before the last, before I started being poly, the person that left me, left me and then like a month later was dating their childhood best friend who'd had a crush on them their whole life. And it sort of slowly came out that they'd been talking and she decided she wanted to give that a shot, wow. you know, rather than continue dating me. But I think without that, she would have continued dating me. Now, granted, that relationship should have ended. That was not a relationship we were where we were healthy people together in a relationship. But at the time, you don't feel that way. You don't have that kind of... No. <laughs> that omniscient <laughs> 2020 hindsight vision. You just got dumped and you're in a lot of pain and your body's screaming to get that person back and you start finding right. out they're out and about with somebody else and then you start thinking, was I not as good as them? And you know, all this. Right, and I want to flatten their tires. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never had... I have never had other person anger i will say that my anger is more directed at the person who is breaking up with me telling me they still love me whilst trying to get with somebody else oh yeah yeah no that's oh, the, oh, that's the person's oh, tires i, I want to slash you meant the exes slashing yeah. the exes i thought you meant slashing <laughs> yeah, the, the competition exes. i got you yeah no, no not the new person the new person didn't do anything wrong yeah you, i mean I, as a rule that you know I mean, you yeah know. you don't know i mean yeah. obviously but well and right. it's all about cultural concepts anyway and there's really nothing wrong right. about expressing interest in someone who's with someone else says poly people and non-monogamous people everywhere so it was helpful knowing that it wasn't me versus someone so i don't have to keep imagining was there some other person was there an imaginary person were you just comparing me to the best possible person if i had had a better job if i did my hair a little more often if i dressed up more often would that have changed what ended up happening and i don't have to think about that anymore there's not that competition aspect right i mean i guess there is but not in breakups or in transitions it's sure. Like you said, you know that you can date and be with whomever, so it's not a, I lost you to someone else. So it's a little less disheartening. It's less blameworthy. Like, I don't feel like I failed to maintain your right. interest. I feel like there was a, a fundamental disconnect. Right. And, the relationship failed. It wasn't yeah. the people in it that failed. It was the actual relationship that failed. Well, and to the extent that I see dating as determining what kind of way you can relate to that person to be, I wouldn't even necessarily call learning that you weren't able to stay romantically entangled a failure as a relationship. I would completely agree. I think that's the other thing is that I had always been taught if the relationship ends, it was a failure. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because when I was monogamous, I developed this strategy of not talking to people that I broke up with for like six months. Basically saying, don't talk to me for six months, and then, you know, then we'll start talking again. It's like your recovery period? Yeah, my recovery period. <laughs> the strategy has worked so well for me that it made my life so much better than when I didn't do it that I brought it with me at first into polyamorous breakups. Oh, wow. And I think it, I think it cost me a really good friend. I don't know if cost is right, but definitely one of my partners, I wish I had not done that. And I feel like we grew way more apart than I wanted us to during the time where I was gone, sort of recuperating. And it was convenient to recuperate and not have to think about it. But I don't know that I needed it because it wasn't as emotionally intense. Like, I think I could have 
worked through that without sort of ghosting. But it was just your default at that point to do that. This goes back to the whole, you bring with you the relationship strategies you had from before, and until you note that you haven't critically examined it, you're just going to do it. Yeah. It was a big relationship, it meant a lot to me, and then it ended, and... I was not in the place to be emotionally devastated, and I don't think I would have been, but I just defaulted to the strategy that I always use. Mm-hmm. Since then, I haven't I have not done that when I've ended a relationship, and I haven't had a problem not doing that since I ended a relationship. And I think it goes to what we were talking about, the different ways that we process why a relationship ended, that I can recognize, look, you still really like me, I still really like you, and this isn't about a judgment about my value as a person or even my value as a partner. This is about we have different needs and the way that our needs interact conflicts in a way that causes us harm. And so we need a different relationship set up that looks like something mm-hmm. else. And yeah, that's fine. And that doesn't have that kind of emotional pain, that sense of rejection that I'm so used to feeling at the end of mon- at the end of monogamous relationships that I was engaged in. I've definitely learned the transition, the relationship transition in poly. I didn't always practice that. I I didn't learn the whole transition thing until probably seven, eight years ago. I partner and I wanted different things. And he was very upfront about the things that he wanted. And I was very upfront with the fact that I could not give them to him. He did not identify as polyamorous at the time. Mm. It, it was end all be all. It was, okay, you can't give this to me. So then I need to not be with you so I can be with someone who can. Sure. We broke up and then within weeks kind of learned that we could transition into something else and he could still seek those things that he wanted that he could not get from me. And we still have, to this day, still have a great relationship that is, I would say, more than friendship, but we are not physical. Mm-hmm. And he has since realized that he has a very polyamorous mindset. He has actually learned to transition with other relationships now, too. Can I back you up for a second? When you say not physical, you mean not sexual. Not sexual, correct. Because we we are physical, well, that's an important clarification to me because you, we still have a lot of monogamous listeners. Right. And a lot of people would not accept the kind of relationship that I think you have with that partner in a partner that they were monogamous with. Correct. Because of the physical component, the non-sexual physical component. Right. We are not sexual. We are physical. We definitely sleep in the same bed and cuddle and kiss and hug, but that's it. We're just sure. not sexual. Just We just decided that that's best. Not that the sex isn't amazing, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we just decided that that's best for us right now is to not be physical and uh, not be sexual. I didn't mean to interrupt too much. I just wanted to, to split that hair because I think it's a, no, a it's valuable important. one yeah, for, for people listening. Well, and especially because when you say transition, I think that that's interesting because it, it ended the relationship in sort of a halfway point that is much closer than acquaintanceship, yes. but even closer than standard normative friendship looks like for a, a man and a woman in or male and female, whatever, right. in, in America. If we were monogamous, the relationship that we have would not be okay. Right. Your partners would not accept the relationship right. that you have in a monogamous, monogamous partners would not that's why i say that we're definitely more than friends but not sexual 
Yeah, and I think that's really valuable. I just haven't had the opportunity to transition that way yet, although I, I think that is something that's really valuable to be able to do. Well, I just, I feel like if someone's in my life, especially for an extended amount of time, there was a reason that person was in my life for that extended amount of time. There were obviously great things about that person. There were things that we had in common that we got along. There's inside jokes, there's history. And with the exception of abusive or toxic relationships, like I said, that person was in your your life for a reason. So why, because one or two elements didn't work, why do, why do we have to take that person out of the picture completely? Obviously, a lot of that background is from sort of monogamous normative training that that person becomes a threat to anybody new that you would end up dating, which I always thought was also weird because I have never gone back to dating someone that I broke up with when I was monogamous. There was so much emotional barrier <laughs> and burden and social garbage in that space. Other than, well, in an uninterrupted way, I did. Like, I definitely had, like, we broke up and, like, a week later got back together and we broke up and a week right. later got back together. But actual, we broke up, we stopped dating for two months, three months, four months. I dated someone else for six months. I never went back to anybody in that way. And so it was always weird to me that my exes were the people that the people I was dating was most excited about. And I'm like, they're my exes for a reason. Either they broke up with me or I broke up with them, but I don't think we're looking to take each other back. You know, whereas if you want to be worried about somebody, we're worried about somebody that's new and exciting and that, I, you know, we just don't know. <laughs> right. The unknown is way more exciting to human yes. beings than the known. If you ever want to do a test, our brains are wired for this. You ever see someone on like the top of a hill at a really far distance and your brain's like, oh, they're sexy. And then when you get close... They're like not even the gender you're interested in and they're like 92 years old and have white hair. And it's because your brain fills in non-knowledge with positive information. Right. Because it's such a low energy effort for you to check. And what if they are really gorgeous and really just your exact type of person? It would take you like five minutes to go check, so you might as well do it. Right. And then if they aren't, you just keep going. You know, and so, of course, people that you don't know anything about are more interesting. But people are threatened by that history. They're threatened by that history yeah. with your ex. You've got the inside jokes. They know what you're like in bed. They know what your penis looks like. It's that it's that history that threatens them. It's not so much maybe the thought that you're going to go back to that person. I think it's the history that's threatening. Can you say more about that? I always thought the history was threatening because it felt like that meant you were going to go back to them because of the value of history, the perceived value of history. I, I don't, I'm not sure how, how that registers as a threat without that. Okay, like you hear people, I've heard people say something about, we're just going to pretend like you didn't have sex with anybody else before me. <laughs> Oh, man. You know what I'm talking about? That's that whole, nobody else existed before me. It, it's not <laughs> that you would go back to those people. It's the history that's there. It's, that's already been conquered, if that makes I see, any I see sense. That it's, it's a lack of perceived specialness. Yes. Our relationship is special because we have this unique thing, but actually this other person proves that we don't because they're right here having that same thing. Right. I've already been there and done that. It is. It's that lack of specialness, that lack of authenticity. Well, and I won't say authenticity because that's a word I use really specifically for, uh, <laughs> for existentialism that means honesty. And it, it is the opposite of authentic to pretend that your partner never had any other partners. <laughs> that is a self-lie in self-deception in the most straightforward possible way, which is the literal opposite of authenticity. So what's the word? Fix my word. <laughs> <laughs> Fix your word. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I know there's a word here that I want here that means like 
I got to be special to you right? or something that people feel like, well, I'm not special to you. I definitely have had that experience when I was still monogamous where I started dating someone who was more sexually experienced than I was. Right. And so there was nothing, nothing that we could do sexually that, that had not been done. Ah. And I was young enough in my sexual adventures that previously anyone I'd been with, I could add at least a thing <laughs> that they had not done. You were you my know. first for this, and you were my first for this. and Right, yeah. right. So, yeah, of course, I wasn't your first. I was actually never with anybody, like, their first. You know, obviously not that that's relevant or important, but... <laughs> so in any case, it would be like, we're growing together sexually, was sort mm-hmm. of the thought. So then you get to someone who there's just nothing that you could do that counts as a category on its own. They haven't done. And some of the things, you don't go through them one by one, especially if you're monogamous and you're it's supposed to be special and things that have been shared have less value, whatever that means. Then you don't go through all her sexual exploits <laughs> at the beginning right. because that would just be way too painful. You so you'll don't. be doing something <laughs> and you think it's you think it's really explorative. And you're like, oh, at least I was the first person to do this. And they're like, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad part was it wasn't even that big of a deal for me, but I remember my partner being really sad. Like, I wish I could give you something, mm-hmm. you know, that was a first something. And I feel bad that I didn't. And it's funny because at the time, like, I knew there was something wrong with that because I knew she shouldn't feel bad, but I couldn't put my finger on it because right. I didn't have the words or the language or the experience to understand that it, it sexual uniqueness is not the value of sex. Right. Which is also weird because you have a cultural group in monogamy chasing being with one person for your whole life and they're like, but that first time is the most important. Well, I mean, it's not, right? You want to have sex with them for the rest of their life? Right. It's a lot of repeats. <laughs> Clearly the repeats are also important. If the repeats weren't important as well, it would all be everyone trying to have sex with someone once. Right. And then try and find someone else that was, it'd be virgin hunting. Right. <laughs> the first time is never the best time. Never. Yeah, the first time is is always the worst time. Yes, I mean, with any relationship, not just like the very, very first time, but the first time with any person is never the best. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like practice. It'd be like, well, the first time I ever used a paintbrush, yeah, that was not the best painting I ever right. made. Right. The first time I ever picked up a racket and played tennis, it was not my best game. It was not even a fun game. I was just really confused the whole time. Right. This is a great metaphor for sex. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really weird that you get hung up on that at, at all. The uniqueness quality. Have they done this before? And right. This sort of losing value. And I was on the receiving end of that once. I was dating someone who was like super into chastity and valued innocence as the most important character value, both for men and women. And she was really upset that I had had sex with one person before her. You know, it was just like, well, I don't want to be with you because you've been with someone. Ooh, you are tainted. You have, right, right. You don't have any value to trade. Mm. You know, and that, of course, goes back to that whole, I make an object of myself to make an object of yourself so that we can trade. And then in doing that, you assign, you have to come up with object values to assign value to the partner to justify, to check your trade values, make sure you're getting a good deal. That capitalism turned into dating (laughs) approach. And that was harsh to hear someone that you were really liked and that you got along with well and you were both attracted to each other say, well, you know, if you just hadn't slept with someone, we'd be a perfect match. Mm. But you just you lost all your value when you did that. And of course, I dodged a bullet. That's not the kind of partner you need. She had a lot of problems to think that sentence. But but it sucked at the time. At the time. Yeah. And that was also culturally coherent. 
Mm-hmm. Right? It wasn't like that was not in the cultural ether. So it wasn't right. like she said that and I was like, that's ridiculous, which is what I should have <laughs> felt free to say. You were like, I should have oh, been like, I am tainted. Yeah, I was, right. Yeah, I was like, oh. You know, and then I had to do things like review the person I was with, and it was the first person I was with, obviously. And so, of course, I was a really terrible relationship. We had nothing in common because I'd never dated anyone, and so I had no way to judge what a good partner should look like. Mm I had never experienced any relationship energy for. I'd never experienced sexual activities of any variety before. Uh, And that person was like, do you want to have sex? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like overwhelmed. And they were like, are you sure it's a big deal? It's your first time. And I was like, I'm totally in love with you. That's fine. And what I thought was love was just new relationship energy because I'd never had either. And new relationship energy felt really powerful. And it was it was coming off exactly like, as we talk about those romance movies we watched as kids, the Disney princess movies, and everything was set up like a Disney princess movie. We met a week later, we were like super intense. A week later, we were having sex. It was the greatest. And then two weeks later, I was like, what am I doing? I have nothing in common with this person. I think I may hate them. And then they broke up with me because I wasn't being very nice because I wasn't that excited anymore, which, Mm. fine. But then ironically, they broke up with me and I was like, oh no, what? At first I was like, that's cool, but then... Like a week later when the the biochemical withdrawal happens, I was like, I want you to come back to me. We should be together forever. You are the greatest. You're the love of my life. (laughs) Only person I've ever had sex with. Of course you'd love my life. Yes. You know, (laughs) it's a really sad life so far and uh, it's a really sad love, but you are the biggest one to date. (laughs) To date. That's what, that's, that's the key right there is to date. (laughs) So far, you are the love of my life. (laughs) Right. that that's also what love of your life always means if you don't know that and it's a very existential thing too and existentialism the idea is you can't judge someone's life till they're dead right so you say like were they a good person i don't know are they alive still well it waits remains to be seen right you know are you the love of my life i don't know am i alive still maybe you'll die or maybe i'll break up with you and someone else will be more important right who knows you are the love of my current life right now yes I definitely had a girlfriend for a long time who made a big deal about calling me the love of her life all the time. Like, Oh, wow. She had like an acronym for it and everything. It was like, oh. the best person I ever dated. You love my life. She would write like in texts and then later like say out loud like Lommel and stuff like that. Like, love of my life. <laughs> and it was, I was always never super comfortable with that. I was always, like, again, I was monogamous and I guess I've always sort it's of a lot had of expectations some sense there. that a lot of this stuff is problematic. And it was just more like, well, I mean, you you know, she'd have been with 11 people. She'd been married to somebody. Like, I was pretty... I wasn't saying it wasn't going to be me. But I wasn't saying it was going to be me. <laughs> like, you know, is the thing there. <laughs> and as it turns out, it was not me. Right. Um, How about that? You know, <laughs> I am very positive that she would describe someone else at this point as the love of her life. Right. I'm sure whoever she is dating now is her lommel. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So do you do you have any partners or ex-partners that you have transitioned with currently that are like in your life as special people that were maybe partners at one time? The producer of our show is, is an ex-partner. And, you know, we have a professional relationship that we transitioned into, at least. Well, that, that's yeah, valuable that's to a, me. That's a, a valid transition. Well, she's just been really busy recently, so I haven't I haven't seen her in a while. And so that was why I sort of was not thinking about that first and foremost. But, I mean, that is a, a transition. We have a good professional relationship when I think we have a good friendship. But I think she's also, I think she's in the same boat I am, but with a different group of things that are busy. And so we're both just not <laughs> interacting very much right, right now and I don't think it's 
yeah, that it's not like a hostility thing, I don't think. No, that's a great transition. That I mean, and just because you're busy and you're out of spoons doesn't mean that that relationship doesn't still exist. You're yeah. just not able to put as much energy into it right now. Seems right. I have a ex-partner that I've actually just started talking to again. Mm. And it was a bad, it was a bad breakup. It was not a transition. <laughs> it was not a transition. <laughs> It was not. I was his first poly relationship. He didn't, Mm. did not navigate poly very well. The whole time we were together was a learning experience for him. Still that ingrained monogamous mindset. And he tried really hard to, Mm. to shed that and, and did a lot of growth through the time that we were together. We were together for like a year and a half, two years and bad breakup wasn't good. After the bad breakup, it took a couple months, of course, that we didn't talk. We had our six-month healing period. Um. <laughs> well, by the way, that's a really great thing if you both are prepared to carve out the space to rebuild your relationship at the back end of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't think most people have that part built in or right. can reliably do that. So I don't know that that's great, but it's great psychologically. I mean, I can show you a ton of statistics. Anytime you talk to an ex, you're like 1% less happier until you've cleared all that air. Right. But yeah, my kids, I have I have three kids, in case you didn't know. Uh, my kids grew close with him when we were together, and they're still close with him. He has always kind of been at arm's length in my life because he's always been in their lives since the breakup. We've actually started talking a lot more recently, kind of re-examining things. Sure. I guess the moral of that is that like sometimes the transitions take a lot longer than just... Yeah, they can come back around. Right. Than than just like, oh, hey, so we can't be this, let's be this, which in a perfect world would be great, but there's still that pain and that hurt that, that you have to get over even in a breakup in poly. This is an interesting model, but I think this is also part of why I have a lot less negativity towards poly breakups is because if it was appropriate, it could come back around and it wouldn't be weird and you wouldn't have missed your window. I remember so much of my thought process in monogamy was like, well, if I don't take this shot, I'll never get another one Mm because, you know, they'll be off with someone or I'll be off with someone or, and there's so many, there's so many plots and so many shows that I see where, why did we never get together? Well, just timing. You were with someone or I was with someone or, so you get a lot of that kind of pressure. And I'm, I'm thinking about it on the model of, this is a really impersonal model, but I think it makes a lot of the same psychological checkboxes uh, of some of the really good stuff I've read about how to get rid of objects that aren't really great for you, but are emotionally attached to you. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you put a box by the front door and you put objects you think you might want to get rid of in the box. And then after six months, you go and you check what's in the box and anything you didn't remember to go get in the last six months, you can get rid of. Mm. So during that six months, you're like, oh my God, where's my, and you actually do use that object. Then it comes back out of the box. It doesn't ever end up making it out of the door. And the, the point of it though, is that it psychologically helps you realize that you didn't really need that object. You were scared of losing it. You were scared it was important. But the fact is you forgot it existed when you put it in a box. Right. The relationship parallel there then is 
if you transition out or break up with someone in monogamy, it's like throwing away an object cold turkey. Like you, if you decide you want it back, it's too late. It's gone. There's nothing right. you can do about it. Whereas if you and a partner decide to transition out of dating because it's not working right now and polyamory and six months later you're going, man, I miss you so much. And they're like, man, I actually miss you so much. And it turns out that the stuff that you guys thought was in the way either is no longer in the way or wasn't really that big of a deal. You can just go right back to it and nothing else structural is going to block that. Right. And so you're not going, what's well, now or never, now or never, <laughs> you know, with, with the breakup. And I think that makes it a lot easier to transition because you go, if we change our minds, yeah, there's a, there's an undo button. That's a really realistic, safe, emotionally consistent undo button, not really undo, but do again, you know, we can try right. again and there's in growth. a way that there isn't. That's true. And you grow in between those phases. So you can grow back together, you can grow apart, but... Well, that's one of the things that's a factor about this ex that I'm I'm reconnecting with is that he's continued to be poly for the last three years since our breakup and Mm -hmm. has learned a lot. Nice. He's a lot more emotionally stable with it and a lot less attached to the mononormative ideals, you know, that were ingrained yeah. in him. And that's the hard thing. That's one of the good discussions I hear a lot in poly communities, especially among poly leaders. Like you think about sub communities of communities, mm-hmm. the poly leadership people that I talk to are unilaterally like, man, I hate dating monogamous people. <laughs> I would much rather date somebody who is poly, who has been poly who knows the ropes, who did all that. I don't want to have to break anybody else in. I hate being the learning curve. Yeah, I hate being the learning curve part of someone's relationship. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, somebody has to. Right. And it's probably a lot safer if that somebody's actually got the training to be a leadership quality member of the community. So it's a weird sort of, not not that I'm saying that you have a social obligation to go out and date monogamous people if you're a polyamorous leader. That's not, that's not the takeaway. It is it's my social it... obligation to go out and witness to the monogamous and... <laughs> through, through dating. Yes, through not, dating. Not just witnessing, because we are doing that. That's, I think, podcast is part of that. Right, but we I have to date already. them all. Yeah, you date them all. <laughs> At least any of that you're attracted to. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that's always an, an interesting one because it's like, I mean, you know, no one ever has an obligation to do emotional labor. We all know that. But I do I do wonder sometimes if dating people who are not already sort of initiated is overly stigmatized in our communities. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, we're always like, we want to grow our community. We need more members. We need more people. <laughs> and I can't even tell you, whenever I have a statistics bump in, like, how many people are polyamorous in the last survey, people get super excited at conferences when I say that. But then none of them want to date monogamous people. Right. And not that, I mean, obviously, you know, my first poly partner and I were monogamous when we got together and we've transitioned to being poly together. But a lot of people still went into that learning curve that we're not us. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> I've I've definitely been the learning curve for multiple people. Um and it just it sucks because you get attached and you want to take them by the shoulders and shake them and go I don't understand why you don't understand this. And sure. <laughs> it's it's really it's emotionally hard to be someone's learning curve. And I would never say that I would not date somebody that was monogamous, but it is emotionally exhausting to be someone's learning curve. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's fair. It's, 
it's like anything else when you're weighing the pros and cons the the question again like so when we break up with you it's because our life was better not dating you right it just means there's got to be a lot more things that you bring to our life than if you weren't also monogamous right in that mix like that that kicked out a bunch of boxes (laughs) and i obviously did something right with this one because he's continued to be poly and (laughs) he's doing it much better now and not to pat myself on the back but Good job. Okay, so we are running down on time. Mm -hmm. I would like to go back and do a a recap where we hit the points we've already hit and then add any quick bullet points that we we didn't add. I think the big takeaway is that the false dichotomy that we always point to that monogamy creates, which is the you must choose me or this other person. You must choose that other person or a third person, is responsible for a lot of the difficulties that breakups have because it creates what I would describe as an opaque situation where it's never really clear why you got broken up with. Whereas being able to entertain as many relationships as will benefit you allows for people to have more authentic decision-making in the kind of relationships they want with each other. Yeah, it gives them different levels of relationships to pursue as opposed to just relationship or no relationship. Yes, which is also more authentic because it doesn't require relationship brackets. Correct. I think that's actually the next step in what I was thinking. I think that the first step there for me was just that I don't have to say, well, I like this person and I like this person. I guess this new person is better than this old person. I'm going to break up with them. But then the second thing is also, well, I really like this person, but for some reason I'm miserable when we're actually romantically entangled, but I love touching them, smelling them, cuddling with them, being in deep friendship with them. Mm -hmm. And so having those layers is also a more authentic way of being. And then this also calls back, so we've got to bring this back in the outtake video, which is exciting because I wanted to reference it and it didn't exist, of the promoted to the highest level of incompetence concept yes uh, which is it right so which is the idea that if someone's good at being a friend you think well maybe we should date and if they're good at dating you think well maybe they should be a life partner yes the nice thing is that in polyamory you can actually try that and go no 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 no. they actually were better as a (laughs) as dating they were better as friendship they were better at this middle point between those two right relationships don't have to be on that relationship escalator they don't have to to continue in that mononormative way where it's step one step two step three step four marriage it can stop at step two if that's what works so it's not continue or die which again is the false dichotomy right right so the only two options you're offered are continue or die because you would not want to take up a more than friendship, non-sexual, cuddle-based relationship in a monogamous scenario because it would mean you'd never be able to have sex again or have a marriage partner. Right. And that's not a good trade. It's not worth it in that context. It is not. And so I think maybe instead of saying relationship elevator, escalator, whatever, I think what we have is we have the ability to dial in the relationship. Okay. So when you're trying to get the volume right, you know, you go up and then back down and back up and back down and so you get the exact sort of point that you wanted at. And I think that's what's really fantastic about the transitional options in polyamory. All right, I think that hits all the points that I wanted to hit. And that definitely hits all of our time. So <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up. 
Join us next week while we discuss how to broach the topic of becoming polyamorous with your monogamous partner. And that could be if you're both monogamous and you decide maybe you don't want to be, maybe you're monogamous and you've been listening to our podcast or other sources (laughs) for a while, and you're thinking this might be for you, how do you have that discussion? And then how do you actually navigate getting from being monogamous to being polyamorous? Uh, We're going to talk about our own journeys. Mandy and I, that's both of us, how we became polyamorous, or that was our introduction. Yes. was through opening up monogamous relationships. We're going to talk about what we did right and also what we did wrong. And what we we now know you could do better. Maybe provide you with some tips on how to broach it with your partner. And I lost my train. What is with tonight? Sorry. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, share. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Stop? Yep.